Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in our study of Jesus' Galilean ministry, specifically through Mark's perspective, as he recorded it in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. The Galilean ministry was a display of Jesus' divine authority and power. The only reasonable conclusion for those who actually witnessed it would be to conclude that he was indeed the divine Son of God, the promised Messiah. But sin makes men and women turn their eyes from the light and to willingly remain blind in the dark. After all, the only reasonable response is to acknowledge our sinfulness and bow down to him as Lord. But as we will continue to see, the vast majority of people are so compelled by their sin that they continue to shut their eyes and ears to the truth and who Jesus really is. If I were God... I would find that very frustrating, wouldn't you? But thank God, God is God, and His sovereign designs are never really ultimately frustrated. Our passage begins with the words, Jesus withdrew. Find out why He did as you listen in on today's slice of the message entitled, Frustrating Fame. He didn't take his skis. He didn't go out for a pleasure cruise on the Sea of Galilee. He made use of a boat anchored along the shore so that he could speak to more people in an orderly way without them constantly pressing in uh, around him. So he removed himself a short distance and set up the situation that the most people could hear what he had to say. So we watch Jesus retreating to the beach, going boating, and then thirdly, terrifying demons, just like we've seen before. Mark 3, 11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And we know this happened repeatedly. We've already seen it first at the synagogue in Capernaum. You understand Satan's strategy and the strategy of his demons is not to call attention to themselves. It's generally to remain under a cover, to work stealthily to disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and messengers of light. But whenever demons saw Jesus, they were so terrified, they would blow their cover and blurt out who He is. Like James 2 says, the demons believe and they tremble. And so verse 12 of Mark 3 And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. You see, Jesus didn't want publicity from demons, never did. He shushed them on every occasion that they spoke. It's interesting that through the Gospel of Mark, through most of the Gospel of Mark anyway, the only ones who clearly identify Jesus as the Son of God are the demons. Now, Mark said he wrote his gospel so you would know that Jesus is the Son of God. But at first, it was the demons who blurted that out. Now, that shows that both 
He is the Son of God, and it shows that, by and large, the people who followed Him, these huge throngs, mostly fell short of genuine faith. They were coming because they wanted the goodies. They were coming to be healed. They were coming to be delivered. They were coming to to, to show their friends this sight who was this man, Jesus. But not necessarily to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now over in Matthew's Gospel, it, it mentions that Jesus was saying the same thing to the people He healed that He was saying to the demons. He was warning them not to tell who He was. Now, that might seem puzzling at first glance. I mean, why would you do miracles, literally, for anyone and everyone who comes to you and then tell them not to tell anyone else about it? Well, Jesus wasn't trying to get more people on the bandwagon. The answer to the question, why would He say that, is that, in a nutshell, the miracles were never the main point. That's, he wasn't trying to build his miracle-working resume. He didn't need to build a reputation as a healer. He was there as the Savior. He was there to preach the message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The miracles were important. They validated his identity. They confirmed his message, but they were never the focal point. So he didn't want people being drawn to him because he was the miracle worker. He wanted them to hear the message that he's the Savior. In his first coming, he came to die for your sins. This was not the time for his exaltation. It was the time for his humiliation. When He comes again, there will be no restraints on the display of His glory and His power. Now, you must think that I left my mind in Russia because you can count. We've already finished verse 12 and we're not even close to the time that we usually quit. Well, I do have a plan. We're going to take a side trip. We've seen Jesus retreating to the beach. We've seen Jesus going boating. We've seen Him terrifying demons. But we have the privilege of having four Gospels. And we get to put them together to see the proverbial big picture. And in this case, it's well worth a a short side trip to Matthew because it will connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. It will connect the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. It will connect the the promise to the fulfillment. And it will even help us connect Matthew with Mark and Luke and John. So we're going to see Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And for this, I need you to flip over to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, where at this point, Matthew adds these words, Matthew 12, 17. This was this Exposing the demons, healing all these people, handling the crowds, frustration with this fame, if you will. All of this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The point is, Jesus was doing exactly what He was supposed to do. There was good reason that He downplayed sensationalism, that he didn't try to build the crowds. He rejected the undue attention of the group of people called the zealots, the ones who wanted to make him a political king right then and there. 
And Matthew explains why he shunned the spotlight. Matthew explains why he warns the people not to be telling him who he is because they weren't believing the fullness of that message. And now what we have before us in Matthew 12, verses 18 through 21, is a modified quotation from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. So Matthew says this is specifically something that the prophet Isaiah said was going to happen with the Messiah. Now, we're going to look at it. It's fairly straightforward. But I want you to notice some things about this. What you're going to see is not a word-for-word quotation. Even in English, you'll be able to tell that what Matthew cites from Isaiah and what Isaiah wrote isn't a perfect match. It doesn't exactly match the Hebrew of the book of Isaiah, nor does it perfectly match the Septuagint Greek translation of Isaiah. So before we look at the words themselves, I want you to observe a couple of things, and I think I can help you make an application. What we have before us, and what you're going to see in the next few minutes, is evidence that Matthew himself was inspired. The gospel writers were not merely dictation machines or researchers. Matthew was guided by the Holy Spirit to make an application from what Isaiah wrote about the Messiah, applying it specifically to the observed pattern of Jesus' ministry. Now, that's not to say that the specific words are unimportant. They are. They are every word in Isaiah, fully inspired and recorded inerrantly by the Holy Spirit. Every word of Matthew, inspired and inerrant as well. But you need to understand that both Matthew and Isaiah were inspired. So Matthew's is an inspired application of what Isaiah wrote down. Matthew never claims that he is expounding everything from Isaiah, 12, uh, from Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. He's just saying Jesus fulfills what is stated there. Now here you have an implied example, if you will, of how to use the Word of God. I want you to think about what must have gone, out, gone through Matthew's mind on the human level, realizing the Spirit guided him, of course, but I want you to see how this worked. I don't think Matthew ran down to the synagogue, dug through the scrolls, unrolled the scroll of Isaiah in either Greek or in Hebrew, studied it, took notes, wrote it down, and then went back and wrote this part of the Gospel of Matthew. It's more likely that what we have here is Matthew quoting from memory. And it's most likely that the reason he remembered it so well is because it's quite likely that Jesus taught this to the disciples, explaining why he was doing what he was doing uh, along the way. So let me give you a little personal application that you can take along with you. From Matthew's example, I want you to... Think in terms of how you 
handle and study and use the Word of God. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.